Good morning. I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to come and uh, do my normal pre-service meet and greet with a bunch of you, um, but I'm, I'm not feeling great today, and uh, if it weren't for the fact that pastors only work one day a week, I would have called in sick today, but since we only work one day a week, um, man, I just had to, you know, buckle up and, and get after it, so... Um, Brianna checked on me this morning to ask me how I was doing, and she said that, that, that they would be, be sure, and my kids are always good for this, uh, to listen closely to make sure that I don't say anything wonky or weird, uh, which is entirely possible, just about any Sunday, um, but today maybe even a little bit more so. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's that, and you probably won't see me once we're done. I'm probably just going to just kind of lay low, so... I appreciate your, your understanding in that. So last week, we started uh, our Christmas series called The Naughty List. The Naughty List. And, and you know, the, uh, everybody this morning seems just as excited about that title as, as y'all did last week, right? The Naughty List. Now, the series, though, it might feel a bit strange for this season, for a Christmas series, but the naughty list is a series really all about, all about sin. Why? Well, I said this last week. I, I believe this, that, that for the good news of Christmas to truly be good news, we need to understand the bad news. We need to be reminded of the bad news, why we needed Jesus to come to earth in the first place. And last week, the bad news that we discovered was simply this. We are all born on the naughty list. And, and the, the, that, that's a tongue-in-cheek way, a metaphor of, of saying that we're all born sinners, right? That, that we are sinners by nature. No matter how good we think we are, we can't remove ourselves from the naughty list. Last week we said this, we aren't good people who occasionally do bad things. It's much worse than that. We are born sinners because of Adam. We used this little illustration last week that, that because of Adam's sin, his sin affected and infected all of humanity. And we are born in Adam. That's bad news. We are sinners by identity not simply our activity. We're sinners by identity. It's who we are. Now, this morning, we're going to kind of veer off a little bit in a, in, into a different path than, than normal. And, and we're going we're to try to address this idea that despite, despite the biblical reality that we are sinners by nature, most people still think that being good for goodness sake is their ticket off of the naughty list. We've probably all had somebody say this to us in conversation, or maybe we've said this, or maybe we, we believe this ourselves, or maybe there was a time in our life that we believed this. <clears throat> and it's this statement, good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. Good Christians go to heaven, good Catholics go to heaven, good Hindus go to heaven, good Muslims go to heaven. Not any one group will be there, 
right? Most people believe that the good people from all of those groups will get to heaven. And the common denominator, many would say, between, between Protestants and Catholics and Hindus and the Muslims and fill in the blank with whatever other religions you want to name, is not really their belief system. It's not really their theology. It's not how they pray. It's not how they worship. It's really that they're good people. They're just good people. Consequently, because of that, many people say that that God is not limited to just one group of people. But somehow God looks for qualified people from all religions. And the qualified people from all religions are the ones who are going to make it because they're good. Because they're just good people. And again, most people believe that, and, and some may even believe that here this morning. The old, the old um, illustration that, that, that people have used is this idea of when you stand before God, and God, were, were, if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Many people would say something like this, well, God, I've always believed in you. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't just believe in you. I believe in Jesus, and, and, and God, I, I, I do my best. I try real hard to, uh, to what? To be a good person. If you were to ask most people, that's what they're, they're banking on, is being able to stand before God and plead their case. They would admit to God, you know, God, I know I'm not perfect. Like, we would need to tell God that. Right? But, but I do this, and I do that, and, and I'm kind to this person, and I wasn't mean to that person, and, and, and we, be, we think that somehow we have to plead our case about our own goodness before God. Again, if I were to ask most people why they think they'll make it, they would begin focusing on all of the good things that they have done and that they continue to do. The assumption that many people make is, is this. If anyone is going to make it, I'm going to make it. Whatever the standard is of being good, most people would say, I meet the standard. That there are people better than me, but there are people a whole lot worse than me. Again, the, the idea that good people go to heaven is prevalent in our world. And honestly, there is something very appealing to the idea that good people go to heaven. What is it? Well, it's the fact that I'm good, right? I mean, the, the reason why that's so appealing is that we believe we're good. Any bad people here today? Any bad people here today? No, no, nobody would say that, that they're a bad person. And several years ago, uh, and I'm, bet, I, I'm sure the percentages have changed now, um, they did a study, 90% of Americans believe there is a heaven, and that same percentage of people believe they're going to get there. See, when it comes to heaven, when it comes to our eternity with God, most people believe that good people get in. I want to I I just kind of argue from that position for a minute before I debunk that position. I, I want to give some reasons why 
good people go to heaven seems like a good idea. Okay, can I do that? Can I, can I just kind of make the case for why people believe that good people go to heaven and why that seems right? Number one, people would say, or people, they, they, I don't know that they would say it, but they think it. It's, it's kind of in this internal clock in the, or internal um, framework of their mind. They, they, they think that it's a fair system. Good people go to heaven. They think that it's a fair system. This idea of of being rewarded for being good is something common in all of our lives. Uh, Go back to when you were in school. If you did well in your homework and you did well on your tests, you got good grades. If you do a good job at home, as you were when you were a kid growing up, you did your chores. You got an allowance. You were rewarded for doing good. In our jobs, if you do well in your job, you're likely to get a promotion, get a raise, right? In society in general, this whole idea of if you do good, you'll get rewarded seems to make a lot of sense. Why else? Well, again, why being good seems like a good idea? It's because you'll make the cut, right? You, you will make the cut because after all, we've already established there are no bad people here. You are all good people. It's like some of the reality shows that we've watched over the years from American Idol to America's Got Talent to The Voice. The, the people who go on that show believe with all their heart they're going to make the cut. I don't know what it takes to be a star but I know I got it. I'm good. I'm talented. I can act. I can sing. I can dance. I can do magic, whatever. We all think that we're going to make the cut. Another one, another reason why this seems fair is because it motivates us to be good. Parents, have you ever used this with your kids? Be good and we'll go to McDonald's. Be good, and we'll go to Disney World, right? And, and does it work? Sure it does. Sure it does, and because, because we've seen it work, we think that because we use it on our kids or we've seen it work in the world, that that must be how God does things, that somehow God is just like us in that he just wants us to be good, and if we're good, he will reward us with heaven, with an eternity with him. One last thing about this seeming fair is that it seems to be consistent with a good God. This idea that there's a good God. Like, we reason if there is a God who is good in a heaven that is good, it will be filled with good people. I mean, we know this. There aren't going to be bad people in heaven because if there were going to be bad people in heaven, then it wouldn't be heaven. I mean, this whole idea of just being good seems logical, seems practical, 
And it's something that most people at some point in time in their life have believed, embraced, believed in, and some even still today. So much so that few who believe being good is good enough have ever really explored the concept. Most people think about it just on the surface. They think about it at just... At the surface level, it makes sense to me, it's logical, it's practical, now let's change subjects. I'm just going to be a good person, and then I'm going to get in. But today I want to answer the question, why is being good for goodness sake not good enough? Or to use the language that we're using, why can't I get myself off of the naughty list? Why can't I get myself off of the naughty list? See, I want to address some problems with this idea. I want to expose some issues with believing that good people go to heaven. The the truth of the matter is this. There are more problems believing that good people go to heaven than believing that Christians go to heaven. Sit on that for a second. There are more problems with believing that good people go to heaven than believing that Christians go to heaven. Why is that? Well, here's the problem with being good. You ready? And when I say this, you're going to go, duh, that makes sense. And the truth of the matter is, if you've been a guest at Zion and you've ever gotten a gift bag, The book that we give to you inside of the gift bag is a book called How Good is Good Enough, where the concepts that I'm unpacking today actually come from, all right? So a lot of these thoughts are not original with me. I'll give credit to to Andy Stanley, who wrote the book that we give out to every guest who at least stops by and and, uh, grabs a gift bag from us, because we think it's that important that if you're new to faith or new to Zion, we want to help you to see the problem with the idea of just being good, right? So here's the problem with being good. Number one is this. There is no clear standard of good and bad by which we can check our progress. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. If good people go to heaven. Just think with me. We need to know what does it mean to be good? How good is good enough? I mean, is it a scale thing? Right? Is it, is it, is it a continuum? Does God grade on a curve? I mean, what, what is it that God who, whoever he is, that, that he one, one day will determine whether or not we make it into eternity with him in a place called heaven, he owes it to us, doesn't he? To tell us how good we have to be. I mean, if that's the way it works, if my eternity hinges on it, if your eternity hinges on it, then certainly... This person who is a good God and is in a good heaven 
is certainly good enough to make it clear to me and to you to show us how good we have to be. But here's the truth. We, we, we don't have that information. We, 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 don't, we don't know what that is. I mean, if, if that's the case, God has kept that from us. I mean, I get it. In America, we'll, we'll sometimes go to the Bible. And fewer, and fewer and fewer people are doing that. But there was a time in America where people would just simply say, well, I just, you know, I just try to follow the Bible. Follow the good book. Try to love my neighbor as myself. I'm, I'm trying to live my life according to, to God's word. Well, here's the thing. If the Bible is your goal, if this book is your goal, you're not that good. You're not that good. If good people go to heaven, none of us are going. None of us are going. Here's the problem with using the Bible to prove your point that good people get in. The Bible says things like this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 tells us there is not one that is righteous, not even one. At the end of the day, when, when you've done all you can do, when we've done all we can do, and, and we realize that we failed, the Bible says that nobody's good. Here's, here's another one. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, Romans 3.20. When you die according to the Bible, God is not going to look at anyone and say that you've done such a good job of being good, you're in. You made it. Good job. Because we're not good. God gave us the law. God, actually the whole scripture to, as a way to remind us that, wow, we're really bad. We, we don't measure up. See, we've never thought it through, or a lot of us have never thought it through, but there's, there's something in our conscience that says there is a good God who lives in a good heaven, and, and I basically have to do what he says to tip the scales to the good side so that I'm in. But the standard according to the Bible is you'll never do it. You'll never tip the scales because you're just not that good. And some people might say this, well, I, I don't look at the Bible I just look inside of me. I, I look inside of my conscience. This innate, intrinsic thing that, put, that God put inside of me. My conscience. And I just trust my conscience. And if I follow my conscience and, and, and I do what's right according to my conscience and I, and I live, live a good life according to my conscience, then I'll be okay. But I, let's think for a minute. Major wars have been fought. Wars are being fought right now because two groups of people have thought we're right and God's on our side. They, they, they were trusting something inside of them and they fought, we fought wars over it. Closer to home, not, wasn't that long ago that white people were, the major, were majorly confused when it came to the African-American uh, citizens. They thought that they were right their conscience said, we're right about them. They even had Bible verses. Were they right? Well, we, we know they, they weren't. 
but they thought they were. But that was all based on, on an internal compass. It was all based on their own conscience about what is right and what is wrong. And if I go by my internal compass, if I trust my conscience, there will always be conflict with others. And the truth of the matter is there'll be conflict with myself. Why? Well, because it changes as I get older. How many of you think differently than you did in your 20s about important issues, about important topics? Your conscience has been formed differently over the years. The things that I used to think were right, I now view as wrong, and the things that I thought were wrong are now right. Right? We, we've all shifted over time. So if we trust in our conscience, there's never going to be any type of a consent, consensus whether we're talking about people groups or countries or religions, and even inside of our own hearts, there's not going to be a consensus. I mean, you can believe that good people go to heaven, but there are some flaws, right? If God says good people go to, go to heaven, then he owes it to us to tell us how good we must be. There's another problem with it, with this idea you're writing it down. We don't know how things are going to grade out. We don't know how things will grade out. How good do we have to be to make the cut? What's the percentage? Do we just have to be in the top 50, 50th percentile of people? And if I'm on the top 50, 50 percentile of humanity, I make it in? Is it 70%? Is it a school grading system somehow? I mean, if I asked people today, you'd have a thought, but it would just be your thought. It would just be your idea. You've heard people say things like this. Well, I never killed anyone. Who says that's the big one? Are you convinced that that's the big one? When, when, when does God start grading us? In our adolescent years? In our teen years, I mean, how do you how do you know? I mean, some of you, like, if it's true, you've got a lot of work to do to get the t the scales tipped into your favor, and you don't have a whole lot of time left. So you better start being good, right? Because you were bad a whole lot of years, so you better get to work. But again, we just we don't know how it's going to grade out. If we believe good people go to heaven, we really have no idea where we stand with God. We make, we make up a system in our mind and we think this is, the, this is the standard. And we try to apply. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. If you believe that good people go, go to heaven, it's like this. It's like students, and we're going to miss you all. This is, I think, is this kind of most of yours last Sunday? Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. We will miss you while you're on break. But imagine going into class next semester and you sit down in class and the professor says, all right, everybody, you will either pass or fail this class. Class dismissed. I have a question. Are there going to be tests or quizzes? 
Do, is atten- does attendance matter? Do, what are the projects that are, when, when are things due? And, and the professor just doesn't even tell you. you you're either going to pass or fail, class dismissed, we'll see at the end of the semester. That, that would make no sense, right? Likewise, if, if you have a job and you were hired for a job and, and, uh, and they, they, they told you that every six months or every year you're going to have a job evaluation, if you do a good job, you get to keep your job. If you don't do a good job, you lose your job. And you begin to ask questions. Well, what am I going to be evaluated on? Your boss says, I'm not going to tell you. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, what's my job description? You're just going to have to figure that out. That doesn't make any sense. And here's another one. University students, anybody use 100 bucks? Any, any university students use 100 bucks? Okay, we're going to have a race right now. All right, it's going to be a race. Okay, the winner of the race gets this $100. On your mark, get set, go. How come you're not doing anything? I just, I just offered you $100. And I said, I want you to, it's, we're, we're, we're having a race right now. Right? You're, looking like, you're not going to give me 100 bucks. Probably not. But the point is, you have no idea what the parameters of the race are. How far? How long? Is this a partner race? Is it a, is it a relay race? Am I supposed to hop on one foot around the room? Am I supposed to sprint back? And, like, but again, the whole idea of being good and not being told, we don't know how how things are going to grade out. And here's the crazy thing. You're hinging your entire eternity on something that you have made up or something that you've embraced that cannot be supported at all biblically. I mean, whether it's the teacher or the employer or the race coordinator, like we we know that it would be unjust and unfair to put those kind of parameters on somebody without giving them any kind of expectations. But if we believe that good people go to heaven, then we are embracing a system so unjust and so unfair that it will break down with just the slightest amount of scrutiny and analysis. So, I said all that to get to this. I know, as a matter of fact, the older that I get, the more, I, th- the more I'm, I know this. I know there are some tough things about Christianity. I know that there are questions that are really difficult to answer for those of us who embrace Jesus as our master, as our Lord, as our Savior. I, I-, I get that there are times when the best that I can ever offer to you as an answer to some of your tough questions is, I don't know. But God does, and he cares. This is not me trying to make everything about Christianity nice and neat and tidy and squared away. Because following Jesus can be and many of you have lived long enough to know that it truly is. 
difficult. But I want you to know this. If good people go to heaven, then Jesus lied. Then Jesus lied. I mean, people believe different things about, Christ, about Jesus. I don't know many people who would say that Jesus lied. I mean, even people who don't follow Jesus don't claim that he lied. But if good people go to heaven, he lied because he taught just the opposite. I mean, after all, that's what infuriated the Pharisees. Why? Because they were, by all accounts, really, really good people. They were the best of the best. They were the cream of the crop. And Jesus went around saying that unless people were better than them, and everybody knew that they weren't, that they weren't going to get in. See, Jesus was teaching that good people don't go to heaven. And in Jesus' day, that was unique. In Jesus' day, that was different. Why is that? Well, because Christianity is unique. Christianity is unique. I want to give you some reasons why. What makes Christianity unique? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's the belief, the conviction that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people do. And again, using this illustration that we, we started last week, we, we under, we, I hope we understand that when we were born, we were born in Adam. Our identity, we are, we, we're sinners. Sinners by nature, and there's nothing that we can do about it. Incapable of moving ourselves off of the naughty list. But because Jesus came... Because he lived and he died, he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, was buried, and three days later he rose again. When we believe the message of the gospel, when we recognize Jesus as king who came to earth to rescue us, and we put our faith in Jesus as our king, we are then somehow, and I don't know how this happens. This is one of those like, I don't know. But the Bible teaches that we move from being in Adam to now being in Christ. That no longer does God see us as a sinner by identity. He sees us as a son and as a daughter because we have placed our faith in the only one who was able to pay the price for the sins of humanity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And for those of us in this room who have made that decision to embrace the message of Jesus, that he is the king come to this earth to rescue us from ourselves and to move us from the naughty list, to another list that would call us adopted, redeemed, sons, heirs, citizens of heaven, and being in Christ. When we do that, it makes all the difference in the world. 
people have a problem with Christianity. And sometimes I get it. But when you root around, most of their problem is not with Christianity. It's with Christians. But for those who have a problem with Christianity is a system, they say things like this. Well, it's just not fair that there's only one way. It's just not fair. It's too narrow. Certainly, God is broader than just one faith. But today, as we wrap up, I want to tell you why Christianity is fair. And hopefully, it encourages you. Maybe it'll challenge you to offer Christianity to your neighbors and friends and coworkers. And maybe just maybe somebody who's here today who's never embraced Christianity or has never had it explained this way would today make the decision to become a follower of Jesus. But I want to give you three reasons why Christianity is fair. Reason number one, everyone is welcome. Everyone. Christianity is not exclusive Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a faith system for one group of people, whether it's based on their color or their socioeconomic background or the the creeds that they, they seem to embrace. Christianity is for everyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone is welcome. Let me give you another reason why Christianity is fair. You ready? Everyone gets in the same way. Everyone gets in the same way. The the myth of many paths is confusing at best. Christianity eliminates trying to figure out which paths lead to God. Because Christianity says there's only one path. And that path is a person. Everybody gets in the same way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That simplifies things in my mind. Everybody's welcome and everybody gets in the same way. That's Christianity. And then one more. Everyone can meet the requirements. Everybody can meet the requirements. What are the requirements? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and then these next words, that whoever believes, whoever believes, in him will not perish, will not be separated for all of eternity, but will have eternal life. Whoever believes, you can meet the requirement if you simply believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, did what he said he would do, and proved that he was God when he rose from the grave. That's it. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no 
hills to climb. There's no deeds that you have to accomplish. There's no quotas to meet. You believe. You trust. You put your faith, your hope, in the one that we celebrate this time of year. The invitation today is is very simple. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking about, you know, did you ever join a church? Were you ever this? Were you ever that? But if you, if something is is stirring inside of you and you're saying, look, I I don't know that that I've ever, that that it's ever been kind of laid out plainly and it's not laid out plain because of me. It's laid out plain because it's true and it is simple and, and it is clear how to begin a relationship with Jesus, how to have the hope of eternal life, how to know that you will spend eternity in heaven with God. You're welcome to follow Jesus. You're welcome to put your faith in him. It's the only way. And if you're here today and you've been trying to be good for goodness sake in an effort to earn your way off of the naughty list, it'll never, ever happen. You're just not that good. But the good news is, you don't have to be because Jesus was good for you. He was good on your behalf. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and we're gonna go into a time of communion we, we participate in communion because Jesus commanded us to. He told us that until he returns, until he comes back to earth a second time, that, that we should often pause to reflect on his sacrifice. We should often slow down and remind ourselves of what he did for us. And the way that Jesus said to do that is take a couple of, couple of elements, a couple of symbolic elements as a way to remind us. And those elements are, for us, it's just a little prepackaged juice and wafer cup. And the, the wafer, the bread, is a way for us to think about his body that was broken for us. And the the juice, the, the grape juice, is a way for us to think about and remind ourselves of his blood that was shed for us. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate in communion because it's for all believers. If you're not yet a believer, you, you haven't yet crossed that line of faith and put your hope in Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about it, Maybe you just sit this one out or, or maybe you just come and talk to me and say, hey, I'd like to talk more about becoming a follower of Jesus because I'm not sure that I've ever seen those dots connected for me. However God is stirring in you when we, when we begin uh, to sing, we want you to, to do that. But today we want you to be able to take communion on your own. You can do it as couples, you can do it as individuals. If you're just a small little group of friends, uh, you can turn and face each other. But take the, the, the elements uh, and just have somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for the bread or for, the, for your body that was, that was broken. And then have somebody pray and thank Jesus for his blood that was shed for us. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and for your grace. 
And we thank you for this opportunity to gather once again around your table and remember your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.